trauma, there's shame, all of that within incarceration. And so you really are in survival mode. And so your curiosity and creativity are about staying alive and staying, and being able to survive that. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Some things just make an impression. I vividly remember the first time I walked past what was then the brand new Arlington County Jail, and standing outside, I heard inmates playing basketball inside. That's just not something you hear in most communities, definitely a unique Arlington sound. And for most of us, it's likely all we'll ever hear of life on the inside. But you have to do the thought experiment and wonder, what if the slam of those heavy doors ever does come into your life? And what would that be like? And what happens when those doors open again and you try to rebuild your life outside? Back in April, in the very same week that this program was approved for broadcast, I happened to attend the annual OAR breakfast, the Offender Aid and Restoration Program. The event is pretty much a local institution, and I was there with about six million of my closest Arlington friends to hear about OAR's work, which, you know, in a word, is terrific. And as they describe it, OAR provides reentry services, including transition assistance and employment counseling, to individuals currently and previously incarcerated who are committed to avoiding reincarceration. I'll let OAR Executive Director Elizabeth Jones give you more specifics in a moment. And Elizabeth is a gem. But no surprise, the highlights of the breakfast each year are the first-person testimonials. So back in April, a man named Lee shared his story and said, almost as an aside, that when he was incarcerated for 17 years, he didn't want to know anything. My blood ran cold when I heard that, and my head started to spin. So what exactly did that mean, and what did that mean for reentry, and how did he navigate all of those changes with friends, family, cell phones? How could anyone possibly survive such a transition without wanting to know? And if, as Scott Baker put it, the human heart sets aside its questions when the future is too capricious, what must OAR be doing to facilitate that process when life must feel especially precarious? Just intuitively, it seemed like finding ways to build the curiosity muscle to help clients choose to be curious again or in a different way had to be a huge part of what OAR was doing. And to help me think about this, I turned to the work of Todd Cashton, a psychologist at George Mason. Among other things, he and others have found first that if people were are prepped to be more curious before they hear a given message, they're more receptive to what's being said, even if it clashes with their own worldview. So it seemed like curiosity would be relevant for absorbing what might be difficult messages with reentry. Second, that curiosity plays a critical role in learning and memory, and we talked about that in our conversation with teacher Michaela Pond, but also that fear can kill curiosity. So fostering curiosity must be essential to learning about one's new life, 
And you'd have to find ways to dial back the anxiety and the fear that all this newness and transition seemed likely to generate. And finally, the curiosity is linked to less aggressive responses towards others who cause psychological hurt. So therefore, I would think curiosity would be fundamental in rebuilding personal relationships that would also be critical in that reentry process. Of course, I've got lots of links to all of this on the Facebook page, Juice to be Curious. And by the way, I'd like to get Todd Cashton on this show. So if you happen to know him, would you put in a good word for me? It seemed pretty clear that there was plenty to talk about, and eventually it wasn't much of a hard sell to get the very busy OAR Executive Director Elizabeth Jones to join me here at WERA and choose to be curious. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to have you here. And, you know, as as the weeks and months have gone by in our kind of getting to this conversation, I think both of us have realized what a rich conversation this is likely to be. So, Absolutely. So I heard Lee for three minutes, and there was, you know, one sentence in particular that just really struck me. You've been at this a much longer time. You obviously know so much more about this. You know, he spoke of not wanting to know anything. Um, is that experience typical? I think that's a great question. Lee is just a fantastic individual. And for some of the members who are listening today that might not know his story, he was incarcerated for a very long time, as you mentioned, 17 years um, in actual prison in a correctional center. And then he had a couple of other years before that. So for a total of 20 years of his life, wow. he was 48 years old. I've been thinking about this statement that Lee made. And I don't think it's, as, as we talked about, you know, everybody's very different, but I do think in Lee's case, Lee was curious and creative and interested in a very different way. Mm -hmm. So while he had to be incarcerated, as many of your listeners might think, um, the environment of being incarcerated is very different than when you are free, when you're out in the world. Right. You have to learn to navigate different environments, different people, different rules, uh, both the facilities rules, but also those norms that are kind of unspoken. And I think in that sense, Lee was able to survive these 17 or 20 years and come out a person who was ready to be curious again once they've been released. Mm -hmm. In some sense, I do think people inside while they're incarcerated are definitely curious, definitely need to know what how to do to stay alive and to survive this experience. But I do resonate with what Todd Cashton said with regards to when you're incarcerated, you have an incredible amount of anxiety, similar to what you were mentioning a moment ago. Right. You know, there's this, there's anger, there is definitely trauma, there's shame, all of that within incarceration. And so you really are in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And so your curiosity and creativity are about staying alive and staying and being able to survive that. The other curiosity and creativity once you come home, it's almost a luxury. Right. And so folks right. won't really start thinking about those other things until their release. Now, of course, there's individuals who don't have that experience, who are incarcerated, who begin to get degrees, masters, PhDs, et cetera, who help others with their paperwork and documentation, legal paperwork and documentation. So there's lots of different ways um, that people are curious in that way. But I do think in Lee's experience, from, from what I understand from him and what I hear from others, individuals, that that is really what they're thinking about, how to survive right now 
And then afterwards, it's uh, how to survive when you come home. I hadn't thought about it that way. And I really think this is such an interesting point because it's it's a kind of emotional intelligence that's necessary to navigate life in any setting. It's Absolutely. the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a great point, yeah. So how does OAR assist in the transition and also in kind of whatever that transition is in a mindset. One of the experiences we've had so far as well that I wanted to talk a little bit about was the concept of trauma, Mm -hmm. which I'm a believer that the idea of trauma and the concept of trauma and trauma that's being experienced by individuals prior while they're children or they're adults, as well as the trauma that they experience while incarcerated, it's something that we have to, as case providers and individuals who work with folks who are coming home, need to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma is the idea of physical, sexual, emotional abuse, and it can happen in a single event or in multiple events. And we know that it has immediate or future impact on the person's behavior, personality, development, and I, even on the brain, on the brain size and all of that. And so the idea of individuals who are incarcerated, there's a study out there that talks about individuals who are incarcerated, that many of them have had incredible amounts of childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. So there's something out there called Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACE. And what they do is they talk with individuals, they have about 10 questions or so, and you get a score of one if you answered yes, uh, a zero if you answer no. And so the idea is that individuals who have been incarcerated, many of them had before they're 18 years old, at least four to eight Mm -hmm. A scores. Mm -hmm. So that changes your brain. So we want to be educated about that as case managers and as people who are working in the field. And so when our individuals are coming out, we begin working with them. We have an intensive program and we begin working with them pre-release so that we can talk about what are these norms that you've learned while you've been incarcerated and how will they serve you or not serve you when you're released. And we talk about that and and talk about forward-facing trauma. So we don't really go back into their trauma. You don't want to get into traumatic experiences while the person's still incarcerated because that's not the best therapeutic area it's not a to therapeutic do. Therapeutic environment, <laughs> exactly. Way, right. Exactly. And so we talk about forward-facing trauma. Uh-huh. How how will that um, how will that work for you in the future? And and we know that this happens. So let's you know talk about how we can move forward. We have cognitive behavioral therapy and interventions. Mm-hmm. So that again goes into that sense of um, you know let's let's think about this differently. We do a program. Uh, we take elements of a program called Thinking for a Change, which is the idea of how do you develop these thinking models. So those programs are specifically to think about how can you come from a different place of your brain or a different place from yourself so that you're not reacting in an anger in, a, in an aggressive way mm-hmm. um, and that you're trying to really think and, and understand and really be curious about what's happening in that interaction and that relationship. It's sort of, I mean, it sounds like it's a process that encourages people, gives them a pause button, basically, mm-hmm. sort of say, wait, right. what's going on here? So you ask the question, you get curious about it, as opposed to just reacting Mm -hmm. or kind of going to that instinctive place where the pathway has been laid down by some of that traumatic experience. Exactly. That's What a terrific tool. We also talked about a study that I had found, some work done by by Bruce Perry, Mm -hmm. um, looking at this same question and kind of the influence of trauma just in learning. And, you know, that has these sort of lasting effects. And they can be they can be overcome, but it takes skills and it takes effort. So how do you do that? And you obviously start to do it while people are still 
in the Arlington County Jail, is that right? I mean, you run yeah. programs there as we well. We do run programs there. We're in Arlington, Alexandria. We're also out in Coffeewood Correctional Center, which is the closest um, oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, okay. correctional center that is releasing individuals to our jurisdiction. Uh-huh. We go out to Pumas and Creek. We go out to Haynesville. So we, we really do go out into the community because those folks are coming back here. And so we want them to have a connection. So that's some of what we do. We do lots of other things. But one of the pieces that is really important for OAR and just the culture of folks when we bring them in is that we have a relationship. Yeah. So we have a constant positive relationship with individuals. And some of that breaks down some of this, uh, you know, fear and anxiety and concern about what's going to what's life going to be like when I come home. And so that way, instead of being in fear, wondering how it's going to be like, they can be more comforted as much as we can, obviously, for someone who's been gone for 20 years, that's can develop a lot of anxiety. Yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time. And so being able to have, you know, to be centered and have the ability to actually think about what is life going to be? What do I want to do? Many of our folks have never had the opportunity to think about this is what I want to do with my life in the future because they've been operating from a survival mode. And so we begin to think about Yes. Well, what is your dream? What is it that you'd like to do? What has worked for you in the past? And that's really many of our case management sessions are like that. So constant positive relationships. And so we we do what we say we're going to do. And that we have found really helps with individuals who are connecting with us so that they feel like we're they're in a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. And when they're in a safe place, they can prosper more. Well, I'm, you know, just projecting, I'm just thinking it's so much easier to be curious when you feel safe being curious and you feel safe in things when you trust mm-hmm. the people who are around you. So obviously a huge amount of what you do is just build trust. Yes. And and for most folks, trauma or experiences um, inside the incarceration, there's studies again out there that talk about that even if you haven't had a trauma prior to incarceration, the Incarceration itself is extremely traumatic, of course. We all can imagine it sure that. sure seems like it would be, yeah. Absolutely. And so it, it wears down um, on your self-esteem. It wears down on your ability to value yourself. And it changes you. And so the reality is that you might have been never had a trauma previously, and now here we go. This is this huge trauma. And if you don't have the support that you need, those relationships, that trust, that you know, building away from anxiety – then I don't know if you have enough time to be curious. So it sounds like Cashton's work really resonates. I mean, Absolutely. I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing those same themes mm-hmm. um, over and over in what you're saying. So much can change while people are incarcerated. Are there good or better ways for people to be curious about those changes? I mean, you can imagine curiosity kind of running away with you in some way respects. Talk to me about how that kind of comes up and unfolds for people. Change in general is tough for individuals. Um, I, you know, if you think about someone being incarcerated for X number of years, they have a person who's there who wakes them up at a specific time, who provides the meals at a specific time. If they have a schedule, it's a very structured life. And so coming from 18 years in case 17, 18, 20 years in case of lease um, structure from the structure environment to here we go, we're coming home and now I have to figure out how to wake myself up. Now I have to figure out how do I prepare my own meal? Right. right. Um, and how do I, you know, how do I talk with my supervisor when they don't express their themselves in the way that I'm used to? Changes are just difficult, I think, for the world. But in general, when you are coming from such a structured place, it's really difficult. So we try to talk about that before they come home, mm-hmm. to talk about this is what life kind of feels like. And this is, and you know that because you've been out before. So mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. about 
what has worked for the person before. And we really kind of go in that direction. There's one story of a participant who came out. He came out of incarceration. He had gone in when he was 14 and had been in and out. And now he was 38. And so you can imagine. difference. Substantial yeah. difference. You know, you haven't learned how to drive. You haven't learned how to use a cell phone then. You haven't learned, you know, all the social media elements. And it's, <laughs> so if you have been away from computers for 20 years, you're going to have to learn a lot. And so this the person did not have any family connections. Mm. But he really, his goal was he wanted to get a degree. He wanted to get an associate's degree. And so somehow throughout this entire, since he was 14, he had been able to take some GED courses while he was incarcerated, some uh-huh. high school courses. So he just needed another like six months to be able to finish his degree. Wow, good and, for him. Yeah, it was incredible. And so instead of us doing what normal uh, case management would say, which we need to get you a house, we need to get you a job right away, we said, well, that's the way that you're going to connect with us. So let's try this. So we were able to find a scholarship fund for him. We were able to fund his education for those six months. And he was able to graduate. And of course, we threw a big party for him and pump and circumstance and had a little, yeah, a little cap and gown. So that's really the work that we do. And so we talk about those changes in a way that it's a solution focused way and really making sure that the individual's coming along for the process. And so we say we're on the journey with people Uh rather than we're teaching people how to do something. Yeah. And I know I came to one of your open houses and toured your Mm -hmm. facilities, met the staff, which was terrific. Everyone should do that. You ran down kind of a long list of programs that you do before people are release. So it sounds like if people really want to pursue their curiosity and and sort of work on some of these things in advance, it's not just a once they're out, they sort of show up on your doorstep. There's a kind of a whole process that they can go through. Is that right? Yes, there is. And so what's that all include? We have lots of different options for folks who are incarcerated as well as for folks who come home. And then one of the pieces that I also want to mention is we do community service. So it's an alternative sentencing program, which the judge decides instead of going to jail or instead of going to a different location, let's go ahead and have you finish your community service with OAR and contribute hours to the community. That's a whole other level of curiosity for our folks who come to the yeah. door because they're going out to these incredible nonprofits and just learning brand new things. And we really ask them, what is it that you want to learn? And what is it that you want to do? And it's it's this it's this process of individuals who might have never been able to volunteer before and learn in that way. Um, so when folks are incarcerated, we have life skills programs that we do. We have individual case management sessions that we do, intensive ones. We do assessments to determine the person's employability level as well as the person's likelihood of reoffending. And so there's a program that does life skills, and that's done by incredible volunteers inside of the Arlington County Detention Facility. So programs like parenting and starting your own business and computers and um, money management even yoga. Mm -hmm. So those different types of things that are happening, and those are done by volunteers. And then our staff members are coming in to do specific case management that's intensive for individuals who are coming out that are going to, that are have assessed as medium to high risk of reoffending. And then we have a program that continues post-release so that folks, when they come home and they get dropped off from the bus, from the prison Mm -hmm. bus, someone's there to meet them and someone's there to greet them so that their, again, their anxiety level goes down and the fear is not so much. Obviously, you're doing something right because your uh, the stats on recidivism and reincarceration are amazing. Mm-hmm. Take take a, a second or two to just you know toot your own horn in yes. terms of some of those statistics because they were so impressive to me. 
Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So recidivism is the concept of, it depends on what state you're talking about, mm -hmm. but in Virginia, it's the idea that you are re-incarcerated for an offense. The state of Virginia has, for all offenders, low, medium, or high risk, it's between 23 and 30% risk of recidivism within the first three years. Wow. So if you think of you know, uh, in the war, in the country, there's 2.2 million people who are incarcerated, and 95% of them are coming home. So, if you think of that number, and 26 to 30% of the people are, are going huge. back, that's a huge number yeah. in a given three years. So, this intensive reentry program that we've been that we've launched recently, and it's been a, almost a year and a couple months of it has been really successful. And because it's evidence-based, we really get excited about it. So we've been able to see a number of participants who have come through pre-release and post-release. And that's the one that we really can track the recidivism mm -hmm. rate mm -hmm. for because we connect with individuals for at least 12 months or so. Um, and so that has been wonderful. And we've had, we've had 17 participants that have come out of incarceration and only one who has actually been, got, who's gotten charges mm -hmm. at this mm -hmm. point. So mm -hmm. that's an incredible rate. You it know? is so an incredible rate. Yeah. So that's huge for us, and we're excited about that. Um, but, you know, the other programs also we don't have the specific statistics for, and we're partnering with the Department of Criminal Justice Services to do a recidivism study on all of our participants. Oh, great. So in three years, we'll be able to actually toot our own horn even more so uh, uh, well, than I'm just I'm going to have you back in three years. That sounds great. <laughs> I'll be ready. <laughs> so, so you have several times mentioned things that volunteers do within the program. How can people get involved? And, and what do you wish people were curious yes. about with OAR to just kind of get to get more engaged? Sure. So we have the best way to connect with us is to go to our website. Our website is www.oaronline.org. And as you mentioned, Lynn, you came to one of our open houses, one of our tours. It's a one-hour tour. So we have those twice a month. And that's really the best way for folks to come and, and just hear, tour the mission of the organization and meet our team members and hear stories and how we've been impacted by our participant stories as well. So that's the best way. And then from there, the person can decide what interests they might have in terms of volunteering and what would be a good fit for the organization. And so we really work again on a one-on-one -on -one basis there. But we have lots of different options. Um, so that's one way. And then what I would love folks to be curious about when they think about incarceration is, is this the best way for individuals to quote unquote, do a punishment, right? Mm -hmm. So is incarceration the best way for folks to give back to the community to serve their time? There's many other alternative sentencing options. And with 2.2 million people who are incarcerated in this country, that's just unfortunate. And it's something that I would love folks to really kind of think about this. And from those 2.2 million people, an incredible amount of them are people of color. Mm -hmm. And why is that? You know, let's ask ourselves, why is that? Let's talk about, is this the best way of doing this? Because we are breaking communities of color down to a point where they are not going to be successful in the future unless something happens. So there's lots of great reform happening right now, which we're really happy about and support. But there's still a lot to do. Yeah. And we we want the world to be curious about, is this the way we should be doing it? Uh -huh. What a great question to leave people with. Thank mm -hmm. you Absolutely. for that. So before you go, I'm going to make you do an analogy, right? I'm looking forward okay. to that. Okay, so reach in okay, and uh, take a slip of paper, and you're going to do an analogy to whatever's on that slip. I'll take one for myself and one for our audience. And uh, you want to go first or you want me to do it? I'll let you go first. Okay, <laughs> all right, let's see. So mine says, wellspring. 
Um, curiosity is like a wellspring because it's a deep, refreshing um, source of, I think, actually an essential life element. And it's a place you can keep going back to. Mm, that's pretty. Thank you. What uh, do you have? Mine is stapler. And so I think of the way we operate our programs in the organization, and we talked a lot about relationships. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I think a stapler creates a relationship sure. with the papers or with whatever you are putting yeah. together. And so it allows people to be in a safe environment where you can actually be curious and creative. That's great. I love it. I, I love what people come up with in these, I have to say. Um, and then audience, for you, uh, your analogy is breathing. How mm. is curiosity like breathing? What an interesting mix we got today. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for this. And I look forward to having you back. I think we have much more to talk about. Thank you. I'm honored and I'm grateful to be here. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with other Curiosity Conversations or any of your WERA listening, listen online on demand at WERA.FM. Stick around. Wendy Mann is coming up next with the Story Hour. Has a casual remark or something you've read gotten you thinking about Curiosity? Is there somebody you think I should be talking to? I hope so. Join the conversation on Facebook, Choose to be Curious, All Run Together, or Twitter at Choose Number Two, Letter B, Curious. And you can also reach me at Gmail at Choose to be Curious, All Run Together, if you don't like the social media. Don't forget to give us your breathing analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to our guest, Elizabeth Jones, and the good folks of Arlington Sheriff's Department who made our sound collection possible. I hope you'll join us again next time for a conversation about curiosity and leadership. So until then, choose to be curious.